The difference between blame and responsibility is movement. Once we're talking about responsibility, we're talking about forward movement. We're talking about action. We're talking about, you know, what, what are we going to, okay, this is what's happened. What are we going to now do? The word amend means to change, not to apologize. You know, that, that so responsibility is about moving. It starts right here, deep in your heart. Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger bring over 90 years of clinical experience to this important podcast, and they offer you a guarantee. You will gain something of personal value from each episode. And now, what matters most. It starts right here. Welcome to uh, Start Right Here. I'm Tom Rutledge, and with me is Dr. Alan Berger. And uh, we also have another guest uh, today, a guest, uh, our very first guest for our podcast. We're very excited about uh, Dr. John Amadeo. And I'm, I'm going to have uh, Alan introduce him to you because he, he's known him much longer than I have. And uh, uh, and John also asked for me not to speak about him uh, in public. So you know, I made that up. Uh, My first question, John, are we pronouncing your last name correctly? How do we pronounce your last name? Yeah, Amadeo. Amadeo, look at you, John. Amadeo, you're See? one already. He's he's. You, I've I've been doing nothing but a, but a, but practicing that for the last twenty four hours. It's <laughs> like. I hope uh, I hope the subsequent questions will be just as easy. <laughs> oh, listen, I, I, I only want easy questions, so that's the only ones I give. It just gets a lot harder from this point out. <laughs> and my first time is pronounced John. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh! It's going to be one of those interviews. Already, where we're at. Oh, that was for you, I think, Tom. I think it will, well, it will be. It will be clear to our listeners that, that we that that we already. Uh, uh, one of the reasons I was I was thanking John for being our first uh, podcast guest is because I felt like I, I said I didn't. I I would have anxiety about having somebody that I didn't know, and I felt like I would have a little bit extra performance anxiety, and and with John because we know him and love him, and already that I, I it wasn't that I felt like I was more confident that I could do well, uh, but just that I knew he would be okay if I didn't. So it's it's it actually fits to the theme of everything we talk about, which is, I mean, which is that's, that's acceptance. What I'm, right, I'm expecting you not to do well. That's right. <laughs> See, I could I could really throw you off if I was just right on, right? It's just, <laughs> no to but, <laughs> Why is John not talking? I don't know. He really seems to be doing okay. I think he's confused. <laughs> no, you're great. You're a great, Tom. Thank you. You're great. It's really an honor to be on with both of you. I really like both of you guys, and you're both very wise and kind and with good senses of humor. So I, I resonate with that a lot. So I, I really am grateful to have been invited to join you. Well, this, is gonna be, this is going to be a good, good conversation. That, that's the feedback we'd be getting though. You guys don't really say a lot of stuff that's wise, but you sure make us laugh a lot. 
<laughs> I love that feedback. I always have, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's absolutely. I, I, not, I had a, my editor, my editor at Harper Collins uh, talking about embracing fear. One time one of his, my favorite line of his, uh, his name was Gideon. And it's like, like he said, he said, if it weren't for me, embracing fear would be a joke book. It's like, you know, it, it, <laughs> talks about taking he would take things out when we would edit and he'd go like this I, he said we need to take this part out and i said well it's funny and he goes yeah but it's a book about fear it's like you know it's, it's like i said yeah but it is funny and he goes like all right so i would negotiate certain things all right i'll do this and this and this if you leave that one in because it's funny so I do, I do like to entertain as we as we teach well well let, let me talk about how i first came to know john and in which is in in one way that the subject's not funny it's a very painful thing is that you know i i had a very very um active practice and a lot of couples would come to see me and be dealing with betrayal and it was it was like a hand grenade went off in the middle of their lives right it's created an incredible amount of, of pain um devastation chaos uncertainty instability and how to take that emotional um trauma and start to work with it and, and actually convert it into something of value was something that that i i've always been interested in doing because that's you know that that's my philosophy in life right life is what it is it's how we cope with it that matters and, you know, in, in continuing to try to educate myself and, and to get ideas on how to help people, I came across your book, John, Love and Betrayal. Hmm. And when I read that, it just, it, it was amazing to me. It, it kind of parted the, the fog around the whole subject for me and gave me a clarity to engage and to work with people that has proven through the years to be incredibly valuable for those people. I mean, even to the point where a few of the couples I worked with, and you know, I remember one in particular, this woman said, I, I said to myself all along, if my husband ever had an affair with me, it would be done, I'd be finished, I'd never talk to him again. And she was willing to set that aside and do some work with me based on a lot of the ideas I shared with her from your, your book. And after two years of, I mean, getting down in the trenches, crying, screaming, yelling, all the stuff we needed to do, they invited me to their house. She was still with her husband. They moved to a different place. They sold their place. They moved to the new, opened up a new chapter in their life, and they invited me over for dinner, and I went to dinner. And she looked at me at dinner, and she said, I never thought that I would say this to you. But my relationship with my husband is better today than it's ever been. And a large part of that is the work that you did with us and what we learned to come back together and deal with the betrayal we had. And that's not just happened once. I mean, that's happened many, many times. And I just want to thank you publicly for what that meant in my life as a clinician and what it's meant to so many of the people that I've worked with in their lives, John. Huh. The book is just, to me, the best book out there on the subject. Mm. It's very touching. 
really appreciate those kind words. And and look, and that's not the only book. Tell us about the other books you've written. Well, the first one's called Being Intimate, uh, which is about the importance of contacting our felt experience instead of just being in our heads and just sharing from our feelings. Use a method called focusing that I describe in that book. And then after Love and Betrayal, I wrote The Authentic Heart, um, A Path Toward Mature Love, which is about different ingredients, different things we need to be aware of to create fulfilling, satisfying relationships, such as healing our shame, being authentic, being honest in our relationships, creating boundaries that support us and nurture us. And, um, and then the way this book is called Dancing with Fire, A Mindful Way to Loving Relationships. And I spent 10 years working on that one, just really tried to refine it to, you know, the importance and the power of being aware of our, of our feelings, especially for people on a spiritual path. People tend to bypass their feelings and their needs and their longings, thinking those things are inconveniences and they're not, we're not very spiritual if we have desires or if we have sadness or hurt or anger or fear. Those things are not very spiritual qualities. But so it's about how to work with our feelings in a way that we engage with them in a skillful, loving way and learn to uh, communicate them authentically. That's an important part of the spiritual path. I love that, John. I love that part. I love lots of lots of parts of what you do, but that particular part because I've I've experienced that too with 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 people with that working with people who tend to tend to they really do they don't want to just, just they just want to trans, transcend you know pain. I think it's yeah, become yeah. you know spirituality becomes without their knowing it it becomes a becomes a medicator in, in a sense a way of that or that spiritual bypass that I heard hear you guys talk about sometimes it's uh so I and I love because everything you do has to me the feel of that very it's I I, I I would call it grounded spirituality. It was, it's a sense of really practice. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer. Alan and I talk about this all the time that if you can't translate whatever it is we're doing, concepts don't help us don't do anything. If, if we can't translate them into practice, then they're, they're of no use to us other than to entertain ourselves with the concepts. And your work, in my, my, my view, always does that. It brings it into practice, and your your examples are very very uh, identifiable and easy to listen to, and um, and and your openness about your own experience is just beautiful as well. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I try to be really practical. Mm-hmm. That's helped me the most is really being very specific and practical. Mm-hmm. And we'll and we'll try not to be as complimentary of you later in the later in the show too, just to balance things out. It's good to get it out of the way right away. Yeah. <laughs> and move on to the important stuff. Um, but look, the, the topic that Tom and I had in mind to, to kick around with you today, John, is, is, is to look at um, blame and mm. the effects that blame have on our own, on our self-esteem and on our relationship with others. And then to contrast that, with what happens when we start to take responsibility for our lives. Mm. Why don't we start with this whole thing about blame? What are your thoughts about blame and what happens? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's a very destructive force in our lives and in our relationships. You know, we all have the tendency to want to blame other people. And, you know, why do we do that? Well, you know, a big reason is 
well, it can be kind of satisfying too to blame somebody else. It can be kind of in the short run, it can be kind of gratifying. You know, just get that energy out, blame that person, relieve ourselves of any responsibility. But you know, a big reason we do it, I think, is we have underlying shame and we have underlying fear that drives the blaming. You know, we we feel you know, shame is that sense of feeling defective, flawed. There's something wrong with me. And that feeling is such a painful feeling. And you know, it's a universal emotion, shame, but it's so painful, even though we all have it, we don't want to get close to it. So we kind of bounce up against it, maybe feel it for a second, and it's so uncomfortable, we just want to transfer that shame to somebody else. So blame is a way to transfer our shame to other people. We're afraid, you know, we're afraid somebody's not going to love us anymore, accept us, or they're going to leave us. So somebody's upset with us, angry with us, they hurt, they feel hurt by something we did or said. It's, it's a lot easier just to, just to get defensive. You know, we have these defense mechanisms that protect us from being uncomfortable, from feeling any kind of pain or discomfort. Well, that's exactly what happens the minute we start blaming somebody else. I mean, they're going to respond in one of two ways, right? They're going to either marshal up their defenses and say, you think I'm a problem? Let me tell you about you. I mean, it's like, you know, it's going to go that. Or they're going to internalize that and then take it all on and start to really go into a shame spiral, as you talked about, and start blaming themselves. And then it becomes two against nobody. Now we're beating them up. They're beating themselves up. And that just turns into, you know, a very, very tragic situation. I think that's that's a really big piece, too. I think I've heard you talk about, too, John, that that uh, that's self because I just really believe this self self blame is absolutely as as destructive to the, the interpersonal communication and process, not just to our. We know it's, we know it's destructive to us, but it, it really does break down the communication in, in a healthy relationship. And I've heard you talk about self-blame is not to be distinguished too much from blaming other people. You're still, you're still blaming. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's a double-edged sword. You know, when we, when we get defensive, you know, instead of taking responsibility, we, we tend to blame the other person or we tend to blame ourselves, which is equally destructive, you know, cause you know, if we're blaming ourselves, then we're not able to really listen. You know, we, we've, we're not able to take responsibility when we're blaming ourselves. I think we can get to that in a little while, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, um, you know, what happens is our, our fight flight response gets triggered when we feel any real or imagined threat to our sense of safety or well-being. So if somebody feels like we did something wrong or we hurt them in some way, it triggers our, our defensive reaction. We go into fight flight. We either shut down, don't, don't want to talk about it. We can retreat to the computer room, go on our cell phone or something. So I don't want to talk about this. Or we blame and attack the other person. And like Alan, you said, it triggers their fight flight mechanism. And then you have an escalating cycle. You know, you get into these patterns that, you know, Sue Johnson talks a lot about in her work with couples where you have this escalation. You get into these cycles with each other where you're triggering each other. And it's just, um, it's just so destructive. It's so painful. It's so sad. And it's so unnecessary if we're willing to stop, pause, and take responsibility for, for our part. 
You know, one of the things that's amazing to me is I, I, when I work with couples in, in the office is that, that I, and I slow it down enough to show, to demonstrate to people how you talk about one triggers the other, that, that a lot of times if you slow motion, the, the uh, communication and you kind of watch, watch, sort of watch the film and look at it, it like takes about two sentences, two exchanges before the whole thing to be just totally fucked. It's like, it's going South. And it's like, everybody knows it. They know it. Everybody knows it. We've all been, I've been in that relationship in many times in my life where you go like if somebody hit the pause button and said is this going anywhere good you go like no, no way and then you hit the pause button again and we just keep going you know we don't even know that we don't even know to pull the plug on the thing it's, it's like we're, we're, it hits those desperate it's desperation that gets tapped i think yes yeah, an out of control freight train that just keeps moving on you know it's yes. but you're right i like what you see yeah, in that split second we go from zero to 60 like just so quickly and the amygdala is activated because amygdala is scanning for danger. You know, it's built into our biology because if we don't spot danger, we could get into trouble. We could get eaten by a tiger. So right. you know, we're wired to scan for danger. So we have a, the brain has a negativity bias. Right. We could we could be eaten by a tiger or have to continue this conversation with our wife. It's like it's, right. it's like it's, 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 is it a choice? Do I have a choice? It's is it fair to say? because I think I want to make this point to be sure it's clear for listeners too. It's fair to say that the stuff we're talking about, the things you're describing, you know, at least on the, on the front end, when you really have not attended to this specifically for yourself in therapy or in, in study that it's, it happens quickly and it's unconscious. Mm. It happens at the unconscious yeah. level. Cause see, I, one of the things I'm aware of is being somebody who has a history of self-hatred and self-blame myself where it would, you know, I mean, I just, did that for ages um, is I realized I could even listen to something like this and then use it to turn on myself, you know, Oh yeah, this is how I'm fucked up, you know, da, 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 da. So I want to, you know, I, I want to really emphasize that, that you're, what you're what we're talking about here is, is that you're, you know, this stuff happens quickly. It happens unconsciously. And, and the, you know, the, what we're hoping this conversation to do among other things is, is just, you know, bring the lights up so that you can actually start to see what's happening. So then you can have some choices. Exactly. Yeah. That's really well said. Yeah. You know, the way to say it is, you know, this, this is what we're up against. This is how we're wired. So, you know, it's not our fault in some way, you know, it's, yeah. we need to take responsibility, but this is how we're wired to scan for danger. So it's, it's, it's natural. It's understandable that that's what gets triggered. But the good news is we're not at the effect. We don't have to be victims of this for the rest of our life. We can find empowerment within that situation and begin to take responsibility. But we're only going to do that if we stop blaming ourselves. You're, you're right. We're just so quick to blame ourselves. We all have this harsh inner critic, inner judge. It's so quick mm -hmm. to want to attack us and blame us and shame us. You know, you did this wrong. You screwed it up. You screwed it up again. You're never going to get anywhere. You know, you're not a good listener. You're not a good partner. And... Mm -hmm. And we just get so paralyzed then by shame that we're not going to be a good partner. <laughs> it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So we got to notice the blame, the way we're shaming ourselves, the way our inner critic speaking to us, and just get some space between us and that toxic voice. Well, well there are two things. You're right on with that. And see, I like when you said, we, in, in one way, in, in, you kind of chuckled at it because it, it sounds a little bit, like we're avoiding responsibility, but it's not. When you say it's not our fault that we're responding the way we are, there, there's it, that's a very important way to be able to support ourselves to learn something new. 
you know, not say that, look, right. I'm doing this because I'm a bad person. No, I've, I've got some ideas about things that, you know, I put there. But look, my parents helped install these these concepts. Our culture helped install these concepts, you know. All the TV I've watched helped install these concepts. You know, I've got all these ideas about how I'm supposed to be. And none of them are really great. I mean, we don't live in a a culture that's a wisdom-based culture. I mean, we don't. No, we don't. (laughs) Let's let's all take a moment with that one. That's... (laughs) Amen amen to that. That's right. And so that's one part of it. You know, I just didn't get here on my own. It's not like I just figured out all this nonsense by myself. You know, I had help installing these programs. The other interesting thing, I, I, I'm, I'm working on this new book, right, that I'm writing about emotional sobriety. And I was digging into selfishness and trying to understand a little bit more. And I was reading some of Eric Fromm's work, right, The Art of Loving, which is a great piece. It's a little... It's 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 that it's a philosopher's way of thinking about it and writing about. It. So I always get challenged with philosophers because they have so many different ways of of twisting language and looking at something. But it's sometimes I get through it, sometimes I don't. But this part I was able to. And he was talking about. He says it's it's a misnomer that the selfish person loves themselves. Mm-hmm. Selfish is not narcissistic. It's very interesting, his distinction. Yeah, 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 yeah. Self-love is not narcissistic. No, self-love is not. And the selfish person hates themselves. They don't love themselves. They're selfish and they're demanding all this stuff because they don't believe, based on who they are, that anybody's going to really care for them. Right. So if they don't grab that plate of food off the table and make sure they get their own, they don't believe that anybody else is going to care enough for them because deep inside, they have no sense of their own value. It was a very interesting way that he started to unpack this thing. And I, I was just thinking about that this whole thing about blame is based on a certain model that we've accepted about when things go wrong, what are we supposed to do? Well, if you're raised with a mother that when the milk got spilled said, who the hell spilled the milk? Then when things go wrong, you look at whose fault is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why did you do that? Why did you do that? If you have a mom that walks in the room, milk got spilled. Hey, let's get a towel and clean that up. You have a whole different experience. Right. Now, when you hit that bump in the road, you don't look to who's to blame. You say, hey, what do we need to do about this? Right. You don't think well, I must be a jerk. I'm a jerk. <laughs> That's right. We don't blame ourselves or we don't figure out who's the big, who's the jerk at the table. Right. You think, <laughs> OK, I made a mistake. It's part of being human. And I can forgive myself and move on. Boy, and if we all got a heavy dose of that growing up. Learn from the experience. Can you imagine the difference? I mean, we'd be out of jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we would. I mean, people would just be growing. But, but we wouldn't be very hard on ourselves about that. We, <laughs> would, we, would, we would be kind. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah. No. No, the, the, the other the other thing, the other thing that comes up with this, too, is is this word uh, in in. Bear with me just for a moment. I mean, this may be a slight bunny trail off to the side, but the word selfishness is such, is such a, 
um, charged word in our culture and certainly in therapy, in my opinion. It's like, and there's so many different, you know, selfishness is not just being selfish is not just one thing. You know, so, you know, there is, uh, I heard my wife say to a, to a client one time, I love this, that she says, you know, nobody ever talks to you about positive selfishness, you know, but she says, you know, positive selfishness is, is, and she has a definition for it, which is, which is, is self-focus that not only does not harm other people, it actually benefits other people. You know, the bottom line is the better job we each do taking care of ourselves, you know, the, the better, better person we are to be in a relationship. You know, it's, it's like, and the other, the other kind of selfishness when we talk about people getting into to these kind of conflicts is I want people to know about just sort of, I call it the natural narcissism of pain. It's like, you know, if, if I'm sitting here t enjoying myself talking to you guys and we're having a great time and this kind of stuff, but I have a slight headache, it's no big deal. I put it aside. My headache gets to a certain level. And it doesn't, you know, even though I have a responsibility and, and I'm here doing this, stuff, there's a certain place where I just go, guys, I'm, I'm cutting out. My head's killing me. I got to go. You know, that's that's a natural narcissist. Same would happen if somebody came in and not hit me in the knee with a bat, baseball bat. It's like it's going to say, OK, who's going to get me to who's going to get me to the ER right now? It's like I want people to know that there, it's OK when you're hurt <laughs> to have it is natural. And again, it goes back to that compassion that you're describing understanding that we're wired this way. We make sense. It's like, Oh, of course I'm feeling this way. It that you don't have to automatically just characterize yourself or the other person as a selfish person. If they're responding selfishly when they've been hurt. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it might be counterintuitive, but um, if we don't have this healthy narcissism, if we don't know how to take care of ourselves, we're not going to be able to love other people. You know, right. Self-love, the more we love ourselves, take care of ourselves, know, know, know that we have a right to take care of ourselves, to be kind, mm -hmm. to have loving kindness toward ourselves. Yeah. And even yeah. in Buddhist practice, having loving kindness toward yourself is the starting point for radiating that loving kindness toward others. Yeah. You know, if our cup is full, then we have more to give others. So taking care of ourselves goes hand in hand with loving other people and taking care of them. Well, I can certainly say from, from personal experience that, that chron chronically blaming myself and, and, and uh, so maybe even sometimes pseudo letting everybody else off the hook, what it did for me is it, breed, it breeded uh, resentment. Because because, you know, I, you know, I, I held that stuff inside. And so, you know, I, I, I kept waiting for somebody else to step up and save me from my self blame. Tell me I would. Oh, no, no, it's not, you know, because I was I would be self blaming and manipulating simultaneously. I'd be going like, oh, yeah, I'm a horrible person. I'm a horrible husband, horrible, this stuff. And I'm and I'm feeling horrible about myself and I'm attacking myself. But I'm also waiting for my wife to step in there and, and rescue me, you know, you know, and that's that's manipulation. Mm, yeah, yeah, we have to, I mean, it's always nice when somebody validates us. Sometimes we might need validation from others, but we can't depend on that or pull on them for that. We need to take responsibility and generate that self-validation within ourselves. Yeah, we have to be able that's to, all we have to have, right. That's the only thing we really have control over is right. taking care of ourselves in that way, loving ourselves, validating right. and affirming our own being. Right. Well, that, that's just, let's go ahead and shift to talking about the difference then when we start to take responsibility and we stop focusing on whose fault is it, what happens? I mean, what are, what are the effects of that? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If we don't, we're trained to kind of analyze who's to something goes wrong, quote unquote, and we're conditioned to 
figure out who's to blame for this, right? Well, you so. said that so well in, in that passage in the book where you said, when responsibility and blame are fused, then we think we're taking responsibility by blaming. Mm. And it's a yeah. very confusing thing because that's so true, I think, in our society. I mean, I think that that idea that responsibility and blame are the same thing is part of the problem here. Yeah, it makes it very difficult to take responsibility if we equate it with blame because we don't want to feel the shame of that blame from others and blaming ourselves. That's so painful. We want to get away from that painful shame and bad feeling. But if we realize that taking responsibility does not mean blaming ourselves, it simply means stepping up, being a mature adult, a mature person, and just recognizing, okay, I, I wasn't perfect there. I made a mistake. I did something that was hurtful to somebody else or hurtful mm -hmm. to myself. And I'm strong enough. I have enough strength in myself, enough self-esteem, enough self-worth to simply acknowledge, yeah, I was, I was off base. I was off the mark. Well, see if this see if this makes sense. The, I, I, maybe this is oversimplified, but the difference between blame and responsibility is movement. It seems like blame is a place we drop anchor and we stay right there where the anchors drop. Once we're talking about responsibility, we're talking about forward movement. We're talking about action. We're talking about you know what what are we going to? Okay, this is what's happened. What are we going to now do? You know, it's, you know, I remember my, you know, my first sponsor in AA teaching me about that, uh, this, the eighth and ninth step about making amends and making the point, you know, that I had never thought of till that moment in time, that the word amend means to change, not to apologize, you know, that, that, so responsibility is about moving. Let's, you know, it's, it's like, I don't, even, you know, and I think this is probably true for all of us sitting here right now. I don't, you know, I don't even mind taking the, I, if to use language, whatever the language is, I don't even mind taking the blame for, for something now. But, but I think the reason is, is because I know I'm not going to stay there long. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's like, you know, my bad. I and mean, how easy is that to do these days where it, what it used to be? It's like, no, that was, I told, I totally messed that up. You know, it's, it's like totally screwed that up. I apologize. Can we keep, keep going? And responsibility gets us moving. I think that's really brilliant, Tom. Yeah, because drop anchor and blame. I like. I love the way you said mm -hmm. that. We do that. We go into this freeze state, you know, like, mm -hmm. and, and, and it can be associated with a shame freeze. We just go into this freeze state and nothing's going to move. We're just going to be paralyzed. We're not going to be able to then listen to what the other person's trying to tell us, not be able to hear right. any of their feelings or their needs. We're going to be so consumed with with shame that we're actually then in a very self-centered place. Oh, that's, that's, that, that's perfect. That's so right. That, that basically when you get in, the, 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 it is a self-absorbed place where it's not a, it's not a fun self-absorbed place. It's, uh, I, matter of fact, I, I refer to it in, in one of my books is, is negative arrogance. It's mm -hmm. like, it's, it's, I'm very special, but not in a good way. You know, I'm, I'm the worst guy in the room. I'm the worst guy in the, in the, you know, in the, on the planet, whatever it happens to be, but it's, it's, you're right. It's so, self-absorbed it takes you away from being a part of any any resolution takes your way exactly it takes you away from being present 
in, in a relationship. You're just absorbed in yourself. You're not able to hear the other person anymore, not able to register their feelings and their needs, not able to be affected by them and affected by their feelings and, and what they're experiencing. You just totally See, absorbed. That, that took me forever. This is, and, and I know a lot of people have experienced this before, but I, I did this thing where, you know, my wife would say, you know, why are you making everything about you? You know, and I would go like, what? I'm no way I'm doing that. It's like, but ultimately that was the, probably the main way I was doing that. When she would let me know how much I had hurt her or done something that was hurtful to her, I would, I would go, I feel so bad that I've hurt you. And, and I would go into this place and I've seen, and maybe women do it too. I'll, I'll just speak from the point of view of, cause I worked with other guys and it seems to be as a gender, we're pretty damn good at this one. It's like, is the, the, Oh, I'm so, and I, you know, and I meant it. I felt horrible. It was, the shame was real. I felt bad, but it took me forever to get that. I was actually making that about me. And, and instead of just being able to own it and say, Damn, I wish I hadn't done that. I would like to do it differently. Right. And, and the then, tricky thing is we don't want to get stuck to and say, oh, no, now I'm making it about me again. I'm in the same freeze. I'm feeling bad because <laughs> I'm in the same freeze. Well, I, we could do it in layers. You're right. Oh, no, now I'm doing it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> now yeah. I'm doing it more. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it goes back to this, this, this self-concept we have. So if my self-concept mm-hmm. says I have to be, quote, perfect to be okay, yeah. And what's going to happen is, is, is when I meet that situation, you know, I'm not going to be able to step back and take a look at what does this mean about me? What, right. what, what is my responsibility in here? Because my, you know, and I like, you know, when you said before that there's kind of a narcissistic pain in this, in the response, mm-hmm. to this, because if my sense of self is so threatened, I'm going to feel a lot of pain around that. I'm going to get desperate. I'm going to get panicky. And I'm going to have to really, really try to maneuver to not let any of this stuff stick on me. Right. I'm going to have to be very skilled at making sure everybody understands that it's this other person's fault and they're to blame for this. Yeah. I'm going to try to, to put on a coat of Teflon as quick as I can, right? And yep. not let any of this stuff stick because my sense of self, if it's that anchored and I have to be right to be okay, I'm in big trouble. Right. If it's that fragile, you're in trouble. That's fragile. And we know a lot of these structures that people develop in their life in terms of they made sense when we did them, but they're very unstable structures. There's much more, much more strength when we develop a more flexible personality, more resilience. Around. These ideas about who we're supposed to be, because all of this stuff is, to me, connected to shoulds, right? Mm-hmm. I should be this way. I should be that way. And mm-hmm. as soon as I come up with an I should be, I'm vulnerable. That's fragile, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's now this is a must. This is what has to happen for me to be okay. And mm-hmm. so now something comes down the road where I made a mistake, right? I said something that was hurtful to my partner and stuff like that. But my God, if I own that, they're not going to love me. So I think that what I got to do is quickly maneuver, like you said, skillfully, try to find a way to, to flip this around. We call that gaslighting, yeah. right? That we can right. gaslight someone. So we, and, and if we get good at it, and you know, Tom, you and I've seen this a lot with mm-hmm. people, that have addiction. I mean, we're masterful at this thing before we know it, that we went out and used because of what our partner did. That's right. That's right. 
Now they're responsible uh, for our whole relapse. Yeah, I love. I always love the phrase I'm, uh, "drinking at people." You know, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll show me. It's, it's. Uh, but I, let, let's put ourselves in the place of somebody hearing this for the first time, though. You know, kind of the the, the newcomer thing. It's what I want people to know, and this is, comes from what I've learned as a, I think, as a therapist as well as going through this myself. Is, is. Understand that the first step to if you're listening to this and some of this is making sense, but it's, it's, it's new to you. The first step of, of this is comes in the form of increasing your awareness, not not immediately changing everything. Because see, a lot of times because well, we we're, we will talk about that. And we and we all have each have done that where we'll say, like, instead of this, do this. It's like, but before you can do that, you really have to have an awareness of what it is you're doing, how you, you have to have what I think of as I call it this investigative mindset toward toward ourselves so that so that we're looking at that. And so when I when I work with a client like that, what I want them to know when they come in and, and they feel additional shame, like we, like you were you were alluding to, John is is because they become they become aware of how they're doing this stuff first of all i want to normalize that no no what happens is you bring the lights of awareness you see you know the good news is for the therapist we're the ones who get happy about it we look at it and go oh this makes so much sense you know and then and they're looking at it and going like oh this is a fucking mess you know and and you know and i'm still smiling at them going yeah you know but now we can see it you know, and that once we can see it. So I want people to know and credit where credit is due. I, I just really, and I don't know, no faint praise here. I really want to praise people when you can become aware of, of, of the intricacies of how you're doing these things that we're describing, because everybody's different. We all have different stories. Find out how you're doing that so that you can change it, but you get credit for just learning something about yourself. You don't, it doesn't have to be changed immediately. You don't have to come out of this just all different. None of us have done it that way. This is such an important point, Tom. Really glad you said that. And you said it really well. Mm-hmm. You know that we, 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 the first step is just simply be aware of, of, of ourselves, to be curious about what we're talking curious. about. Yeah. Yeah. Be curious about what we're experiencing and the interactions we have and our, our usual responses to things and our tendency to get defensive. Just kind of be curious about that and just kind of, you know, from a distant perch, just kind of notice, be mindful of how we're reacting. Yeah. Oh, let's look at that boy. I just reacted. It's, you know, it's, it's interesting, John, because for, for a long time, when I was working with PESI Healthcare and I was on the road doing a lot of uh, professional training workshops, I would talk about that. And people would come up to me f- fairly often at the end of the workshop and ask me if I was Buddhist. And mm-hmm. I would and I would say, no, not, not particularly. It's, no, no, don't think so. And then eventually enough people had asked me where now if somebody asked me if I'm Buddhist, my answer is apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it is that place. I, and I've learned that from you too. Just n- n- realizing that place where we can just, and, and that fits so much into the model that you and I talk about, Alan, is just get that place where you can observe. It's being yeah. awake, you know, move toward being more awake. You know, yeah. the word mindfulness word gets overused, but it's about being aware, being awake to your experience and be curious about it. Just be open to it, notice it. Right. blaming or attacking yourself it's a life's an exciting journey you know just what else is there to do other than to be aware of, of ourselves and our interactions and and to wake up in this life wake up through our relationships Get- the older i've gotten the more i've gotten that that, that attitude which is ah what else do i have to do i'll just <laughs> I- <laughs> 
<laughs> I, you know, and, and the other things like, oh, the only choice I have about today is, I mean, this is what I've come to in the last probably two or three years. The only choice I really have is whether I'm going to find some enjoyment in the day. You know, hmm. it's not, well, not you know, like, that'll, that'll influence my choices. But it's like, even if I'm not feeling good, you know, I have depression, depression circles back around, even with medication, even on a day when I'm feeling that my depression is there. It's like, I've learned. I can still have a good day, you know, if I, if I, if just where I choose to focus. You know, one of the things we're talking about is this curiosity in ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, when you were saying that, and it, it's, look, one of the problems that a lot of people have when they walk into our offices is that they've lost an interest in themselves. Yes. They're so used to showing up a certain way and almost bored with themselves because they're, they have a very fixed response, a fixed way of being in the world. And so I love when we say it, a lot of our work is to get people curious again. Mm -hmm. Say, hey, you know, guess what? That's just one way. There's other possibilities here. Mm -hmm. You know, let's get curious about, you know, your life and maybe the discovery of some new things. To aid that, I love using what, what we call sentence completion tasks, mm -hmm. right? So, so some of the things that come to mind as we're talking about, and if you're out there listening, you can play with some of these things. Write down one of these incomplete sentences or all of them on a, on a piece of paper and then just start saying them out loud and answering them. So one might be um, making a mistake means. And what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Making a mistake means what? Um, And, and complete the sentence multiple times is where, is where you go. That's how you go deeper. It's like, yeah, yeah. We'll give it between six and 10 different responses, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Taking responsibility means, what does that mean to you? Yeah. If I accepted I was wrong, it says what? You know, see, these are ways somebody can play with these things and start to develop the awareness you talked about, Tom, without yeah, yeah. purposes not to change anything. Purpose is just say these things out loud. Hear yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I can't make a mistake because, I mean, mm -hmm. that's the one I love. I can't make a mistake because fill in that one. Right. Right. It means I'm not going to be loved. I'm not going to be accepted. I'm going to be lonely. Yeah, these things help people get down and in touch with some of these things that we're talking about. And, and like we said, is if, if we help them do this, and, and I, I love that. The way we were, the way you talked about this, John, because it really, when you, when I read it in your book, it meant so much to me. If we now differentiate the fusion that's occurred between blame and responsibility, and say responsibility is something very different, it's not about blame. That's not what we're talking about. It has, it has a different quality and characteristic to it, all itself. It doesn't marshal up all of this defensiveness, all of these psychological operations to try to maintain this false self and all this mm. other nonsense that goes on, right? I, what it does is it, to me, it activates an organismic wisdom that we all have that moves us towards wholeness and growth, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Is we're just wired that way to continue to master things, to get better at things, to 
that curiosity becomes quite natural when that force is freely operating in our lives, the growth force or self-actualization, whatever label you want to put on it, it's a powerful force. And when it gets released, it's going to move you towards figuring out, well, what can I do different? Mm-hmm. Yes, Tom said we're going to get unfrozen then. Our process then has an opportunity mm-hmm. to yeah. move forward. So, it's got that movement, right? Yeah, it has a forward movement to it. Then something releases in us. We can open more to life, open more to truth, open more to wisdom. And, and that's very empowering and enlivening and energizing. And now we it opens us up to a relationship. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's right. what it does. Is it opens us up to being in a relationship with someone and finding some way to cooperate with them with integrity. Or for some, or if people listening are in a relationship, it's a great opportunity to practice this. Mm-hmm. Be curious about your experience. Be willing to share your felt experience with the other person. Say, oh, I felt sad about that, or I feel hurt, or and take a responsibility also to want to be clear. It doesn't mean you don't have any feelings about what happened. I mean, you might feel sad about something you did that was hurtful to somebody. That's okay. Make room for that. But that's different than beating yourself up and thinking that you're total jerk or total, totally flawed and you get frozen in that state. And you should have some mild sense of, you know, sorrow or, or if you really hurt somebody in, in a big way, you have to really feel, it's okay to feel sad about that and have regret and remorse. And then to share that in a vulnerable kind of way that, and, and to maybe share that repeatedly if it's a really major betrayal. Right. Yeah. People, people become, become, uh, yeah. So afraid that, the, 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 all the blame is just going to come piling on. I think if we, if we acknowledge, you know, for, for the blame for something, but it's, it's so empowering to be able just to own it. Yeah. You know, I apologize yeah. for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did that. You know, yeah. I, I feel bad about that. And I wish I hadn't. Yeah. I, wish I hadn't. I'm really sorry. I'm really learning from this and it's painful to see how much I've hurt you. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that, that Alan, one of the things that you said is, is, which I think is a theme of, for, for you and I in this whole process too, is about curi- the curiosity and becoming fascinated with this. It's like you talk about one of the things that we, that we do in therapy. And, I, and I'm betting you that I would say, John, you, you fit into this uh, description too. Tell me if I'm wrong, but it's like, like that one of the ways that we actually automatically, I think naturally gets people interested in themselves again, is we take interest in them. It's like, because one of the things that Alan and I've talked about through the time we've been uh, doing the podcast together is, is how grateful we are that we're as old as we are. And we're still as excited about what we do for a living as we are, Mm. how fascinating it is. I mean, and how much fun it is. And and if and if you don't if 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 you don't realize that everybody is a unique individual, it you know then it becomes factory work, yeah. you know. But the but the idea is when we realize oh no we got we carry in a lot of concepts and a lot of history and, and a lot of experience that can apply to this. But I don't I still don't know who this person is. I still don't know what's happening with this person. And so when we get excited about that, what I find with that is then the client can join us and. Um, yeah, and I watched, I, and I've definitely watched that happen when you're working with people, Alan, is people, people start listening to your, the questions you're asking. And it really, it really is almost like it's just kind of waking them up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just be with people with a, an alert curiosity and yeah. openness 
what the Buddhists call beginner's mind. Yes. Zen teachers, Azuki Roshi uses that phrase, beginner's mind. Just be with someone with the kind of innocence and openness, not coming in with your pre-existing conceived ideas about what's wrong with this person or what they mean. But just just hearing them. Oh, absolutely. What what do they say? The uh, uh, expert has nothing to learn. The beginner everything. Right. You know, and it's, it's one of the things. And and one of you guys would probably actually come up with the quotation. I don't remember the quotation, but I do. I can paraphrase a piece from Carl Jung that I thought was hilarious. At one point, somebody was talking to him or interviewing him about something and about his work, and he and, and he and he made some comment to the effect of, "Well, whatever you do with my work, you don't base a you." don't base a, a, a model of psychology on it <laughs> because and he was talking about because he would say every every time he would go in with a client he tried to forget everything he knew you know right. and, which yeah. is the best thing it's like fuck that stuff leave it outside and yeah, uh, yeah. yeah and i and i of course you know with with all with his humility fully intact and a part of that model it's like of course it's a wonderful m- model to use be it be an empty open vessel for this so this person can experience that mm. you are genuinely interested in them unlike many people in their life and you're really present with them you're interested you care about mm-hmm. their experience mm-hmm. and giving that mirroring to someone is very powerful yeah, yeah. helps them to then really attend to their own experience without judging themselves you know it brings up an interesting thing i'm just sitting here and thinking about the other side of of this is when someone makes a mistake, how do we respond to them? Yes. Do we respond by blaming them and saying, well, how could you do that to me? <laughs> oh my God, I thought you loved me. You know that? So what is that going to do? I mean, now that's going to marshal up a lot. We're going to make it a lot harder for them to take any responsibility because we've now just proclaimed that they're the worst person that's ever lived. <laughs> And that if they were a decent person, they would, of course, never hurt us. Right? This idea that somehow if you're in a loving relationship, you never get hurt. I'll never forget. I I was watching a session that Dr. Kempler, my mentor, did. Um, He was one of the the first to to really focus on what the relational aspect of Gestalt therapy, right? So he worked with a lot of couples and families and stuff. And I remember this couple was sitting there talking about just uh, being how um, that it was so painful to be in love and how hurt they were and that they thought that a real healthy relationship really didn't involve being hurt so much. And, uh, and, and Walt turned to, to the one guy and said to him, you know, he says, he said, this guy's talking about, I just want a utopia, right? It's just a utopia where we're able to say whatever we want to say and we don't get hurt by it and all this other stuff. <laughs> and, and Walt turned to him and says, you don't want a utopia. He says that the, the utopia that you think that you're trying to make in your life is killing you because whenever things don't happen, according to your ideas about how they're supposed to happen, you know, you're devastated. He says, how do you know you're in love if they can't hurt you? <laughs> That's what his first thing was says. And, 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 and the clients are looking at him like, oh, my God, maybe you mean that maybe a relationship involves getting hurt every now and again? It's like it's these ideas we get in our head about what it's supposed to look like and what it's supposed to be can be so Disney contaminated. 
Mm. <laughs> right? I mean, so much that, God, you put the slipper on her and you live happily ever after. Well, my yes. God, I put the slipper on her and now she's throwing the goddamn slipper at me. What the hell do I do? I mean, it's, it's true. We, we get a lot of conditioning to live in this, this idealized, romanticized kind of world when reality doesn't live up to our expectations or hopes or images, then we're thrown in a big way. So if we can accept that we're going to be hurt and feel sad or angry or free or fearful in relationships, that's part of the human condition. That's part of what we're signing up for when we're in any relationship, then we can deal with, we can engage with painful, difficult encounters with a little bit more grace and resilience and flexibility and acceptance. Yeah. Could you imagine that if a partner makes a mistake and we say to them and they're all worried about it or trying to find blame or whatever it is. And we say to them, God, you're confused. You thought I married you because you were perfect. Mm -hmm. I married you because you weren't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, oh my God, what does that do? That throws a monkey wrench in the whole operation. It's hard to, <laughs> you know, love, it's hard to love perfect people. It is. There's oh, another one. It's like a, be a well, since they don't exist, them. yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, <laughs> for a while, <laughs> like, right. to love someone who's trying to be perfect. Yeah, that's right. right. Or things are supposed yeah, to be. It's like and open things up, and you know, have a more open situation for ourselves and for them. And you know, I've I've been talking about those as those are real healthy rules, rules right. like that that open up possibilities are so different than those toxic rules hmm. that say you got to be this way to be okay. Mm -hmm. you know, Virginia Satir talked about, they're just so shame-based, mm -hmm. all those rules. Right. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're not able to live up to them. So it's a bad setup, set up for shame. So yeah, yes. Set up and if we... So to, you know, to look at this from another angle, if, you know, if we think somebody, else made a mistake, we, 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 we don't want to do say, you know, you, you made a mistake, you were wrong, you did something really bad. We want to try to find the courage to notice how we're feeling by what they did or said. And it's probably something that's kind of vulnerable. You know, we felt hurt. I felt sad. You know, it brought up some shame for me when you said such and such, my, such and such, my stomach got really tight. And I just want you to know that that really hurt me. I feel sad about that. Yeah. And that vulnerability tends to elicit listening from the other person because they're not feeling blamed and accused and attacked or shamed. So the more we can communicate in a vulnerable way rather than a shaming, critical way, the more likely we are to be heard. Well, you know, Alan, we, we usually move toward, toward, you know, when we're doing our own thing, we move toward a, a new topic toward the end. One of the things I'm thinking we're, I'm hearing, and I'd love to have John back sometime to talk about this, is we're moving, if, if we were moving into a, to a the next podcast right now, to me, it would be about conflict resolution. It's like, because I think, I think we're talking about, okay, once, because we, we're really getting into that relationship stuff that so, I mean, everybody can identify with. And, and it's like, what do you do? What do you do as preventive stuff so that you don't run into as much conflict? But when you are in conflict, how can you get through it rather than, you know, drop the anchor and have, have the useless conversation that goes into the wee hours of the morning? And, and it just, you know, in, in, that's where I think where people say they get hurt. I always distinguish between hurt and harm. And when you do those, 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 those circular 
you know, ineffective dysfunctional communications over and over and over again, that does harm to the relationship. And so what we want to do is we want to intervene and be, and be more productive in terms of doing some new things. I would love to have you back to, to, to talk about that sometime. Sounds we good. Get that. Okay. Let me just build on this idea though. I was really, I, I'm excited about what you said a minute ago, John, about sharing that because see, it, it, it brings up this idea about not taking things personally. Mm. Yes. You, you know, it, it's going to sound outrageous, but nobody can hurt me. If I get hurt by what you say, it's because it has a certain meaning inside of me, right? Like you were saying, it might relate to some past experience of being hurt or some desire of being this way or that way. Because if I, you don't, you know that this is true because as soon as someone falls out of love with someone and they become un, indifferent, doesn't matter what the person says about them. They don't react anymore, right? We know the opposite of love is not hate. You still hate the person they're still feeling there right as soon as you're out of love with the person you're indifferent doesn't matter what they say or what they what they think or anything like that you're just finished with them but it's very interesting thing is to think about well if i was doing what you were saying and i could connect it to say look you didn't hurt me what's hurting me is this pain i have over my past you just said whatever you said and it means something about you not about me and see this is such a critical piece in terms of of relationships is understanding the way Dr. Kempler said it is if you want to get more personal, you have to stop taking things personally. Mm. If you want to get more personal in a relationship, you need to find a way to stop taking it personally. Cause as soon as I take it personally, you're no longer a thou to me. Now you're some object that's hurt me. And I no longer see you. I'm dealing with something else. I'm not dealing with who you are because what you just did, if you needed to strike out to hurt me, it's telling me something about you. It's not telling me about me or how you feel about me. It's telling me how you deal with your pain or what you said a minute ago, Tom. You're just showing me that, that something hurt you and this is your narcissistic reaction to it, mm -hmm. right, to that situation. Right. Right. So if we can start doing that, we even get more of that separation that we're talking about from the other person. And now we can see them who they are. We can still take care of ourselves and deal with our own feelings, but we get out of the stickiness. Yeah, I would say a, a, a lot of times we do take things way too personally based upon our history. Our history is getting activated. You know, old hurts, old fears, old feelings of not being loved and accepted. That's, that's a huge percentage, I would say, of what's getting activated. I, I would still, though, I don't know if we have a difference here or not or if I'm missing something, but I would maintain that even if we've healed a lot of those old wounds, there can be still something in current present-based time interactions that might be hurtful to us, but not as nearly in an intense way if we've healed a lot of our history. Well, and, and also only if we don't have this idea that if you love someone, you won't want to hurt them from time to time. Mm. I love what Dr. David Snart said. He says, in every marriage, there is a normal amount of sadism. Ah. Every marriage, you're going to want to reach out and hurt that person from time to time. Doesn't mean you don't love them. It's just mean you got a sadistic side to you. You want to reach out and hurt somebody sometime. You let go of that. It helps further not take it personal. 
Because it's once again, what are our expectations, right? What are we setting up here with each other? You know, do we set up some of these things that are impossible for us to live up to? Or are we setting up a situation that embraces our humanity? And I would say sometimes we want the other person to feel the same pain we're in. So, so we want to hurt them in some way. So they feel the pain that we're in, whether it's a desire, not necessarily desirable behavior, but it's very human and something we need to notice and acknowledge and maybe find other ways to, to express our pain. Exactly. See, or I might want to hurt you to see if I can still hurt you to see if you still care about me. Uh, you can be that crazy, right? It can get very convoluted. <laughs> I want to poke you to see, God, are you going to still react to me? What do we say kids do when they're growing up? Well, they say any attention is attention. Why do some kids act out? Not because they're bad kids. They're trying, they're looking for engagement. How are you going to get engaged with me? So you want to, we want to poke the other person to see if, bear, see, if, see if the bear is going to react to us, right? You still love me? You still love me? I mean, think about it. I mean, we did. I'm sure I did it as a kid. I'm sure I poked my parents every now and again. Hey, you still interested? <laughs> Are you going to get upset with me if I do this? Huh? <laughs> I would say we, we wouldn't want that to be the predominant way we relate to our partner. <laughs> Look, we want to grow ourselves <laughs> with more, more mature love, which is going to say, hey, how about asking for what you want? Mm -hmm. Or talking to your partner about you're wondering about that and have a discussion with it rather than acting it out. Right on. Hey, yeah, right. right. Yeah, <laughs> own it we don't have to act it out that's what i say all the time if you that's own good it, you yeah <laughs> i mean anyway that's that's perfect well, that could that's be a good. whole other podcast for you guys uh, taking things personally what that means and how to work with that i think that that will do that one we'll do that one too but john it's been great having you on here is there anything you want to say to your listeners or, or tell them how they can learn more about your work and get in touch with you? Uh, well, they can go to my website, johnamadeo.com, if they know how to spell my name, J-O-H-N-A-M-O-D-E-O.com, where I got my books and I've got over 100 articles you can read for free. I'm a blogger for Psychology Today. You, you can access it through my website. Oh, I want to say, I want to say, I, I have posted and I'm sure this is on those websites too, but I have a couple of your articles posted on my website. Uh, and, and it's one of them is it's time we elected emotionally intelligent leaders that you, you sent to me. And, and I, th I think that's in the psychology today right. group, isn't it? And yep. the other is someone that you wrote a couple of years ago. What and I loved, and I love the whole article and I love the name of this one. What if wise people ran our country? <laughs> and so I encourage people to find those in particular and read them because they were just beautiful. Mm, thank you, Tom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this whole bunch as of is anything you write, anything go get go get his books because uh, John and John, what you see and what you hear is what you get. It's like this is John's the real deal. Oh, thank you so much, Tom. Really How did they learn about you, Tom? Uh, go back to that website, uh, TomRutledge.com. Uh, like John says, articles, books, uh, you can, you can email me, uh, uh, if you have any comments or questions for our podcast. And you can go to my website, abphd.com. And likewise, you'll be able to find my bookstore and a lot of other great stuff for you to, to access. All right. So see everybody next week. It's a spiral, not a circle. Goes round, round. Never see never 
Where it starts Right here Won't you look 